Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland, a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul. It is episode 18, and I know um, I told you already about what the number 18 means to me. Um, it's shown up in my life a lot, weirdly. Um, from the lucky episode 13, I talk about how 18 has showed up a lot for me. And so I opened it up to everybody to see what they wanted me to do, and a lot of people said, to cover the Beast of Bodmin Moor. So this is what we're gonna get into. I had never in my life um, heard of this beast before or this cryptid. It was really cool for me to think about and wonder what it was, like coming from it from a different lens of like not knowing what this was. Before I knew what it looked like or anything, I wondered, I originally imagined that it looked like Bigfoot, but I was really happy and horrified that it was actually resembling a large cat or a panther looking creature, depending on the found footage type situation that you look at. So UK, the UK is not home to large predators. There have been many sightings of it though, and they're it they're pretty recent. Um, like, especially with the modern technology, there's lots of photo and video evidence of it. Uh, some of the theories are like, oh, um, are these old saber-tooth tigers or something that came alive from the Ice Age or other big cats that came alive from the Ice Age? Um, is it a type of, like, cryptozoologists are like, is it a type of cryptid? Um, and other theories are that there were these deep cave dwelling creatures that ventured out of the caves to come out and because they were hungry to eat livestock and family pets, unfortunately. There really aren't any ancient reports of these creatures or this one creature. The creatures that show up from long ago are more in the giant dog variety, um, like hellhound type thing. Um, which I can get into in a different episode, but the Beast of Bodmin Moor is way more recent than that. It was first documented by William Cobbett, and he spotted it as a child in 1820. Uh, there were tons of sightings, though, in the 1970s. Between 1983 and 1996, it was spotted 60 times, and between 2000 and 2011, it was spotted over 200 times. And Bodmin Moor is not a populated area, and it's not just Bodmin Moor. It's been spotted around that area. Um, this is where I'm going to just gloss over what that area means because I really, really struggle with geological location and, like, mapping. Um but it's a really rural setting and it's not populated. So the fact that this beast was seen so many times is concerning and also means for intrigue. There are many photos, but 
a lot of times the photos are blurry. The videos taken are a bit rough. And there was one time even a skull found that was a large cat skull, but they found that it was an imported leopard skull. So they were not really sure where that came from, whether it was from a rug, which please don't, please don't get a fur rug like that. That's not cool. Um, Or if it was from like circuses or zoos in the area. They've also found footprints like large cat footprints that don't make sense. And livestock were eaten with evidence of a large cat killing them. Um, And I'm not going to get into too many details or anything like that. But just know that like, you know, there were household pets like dogs and cats that were devoured that way and livestock devoured that way in a particular way that shows that it was a large cat that did so. Um, It was so prevalent that the government actually sent researchers and even the army to track what was causing the problem. And they were unsuccessful so in, in finding and tracking the big cat, but they weren't able to rule out that it was happening. They did say that they didn't think it posed a threat. Like if there was something out there, they didn't th- think it posed a threat to livestock. But I think it's still con- like they just didn't full out say, oh, there's not a big cat in this area of some sort. So though I live in Northern Appalachia in the United States, I'm still horrified because I've had two wildcat experiences. So on a trail ride, of course, I was on Spec. You've heard me talk about Spec before. (laughs) He was my rodeo horse, Leopard Appalachia. Leopard Appaloosa. He basically looks like a giant Dalmatian. Um, He's really cool. um, And I miss him a lot. But um, and I really like that I get to talk about him on here because I can kind of like keep his memory alive, you know, um, and tell stories about him. But while I was riding him, it was like I was riding him on like a deep, um, it was a really long trail ride. Like I want to say like four to six hours long. I was deep in the woods, like um, following like hunter trails, not like the actual trail. So that was kind of dangerous. I don't know why I was allowed to do the things I did when I was a kid. Um, but uh, I felt something watching. Um, I couldn't hear anything, but I would see things out of the corner of my eye or um, I would like see something like or I would even if I didn't see something, I would feel something staring at me. And this may or may not be (laughs) um, some inspiration behind um, what uh, the the candid carry in my novel Ashes. If you've read it, then you know what I'm talking about that unseen entity that's like stalking you type of thing. So um, I like finally was able to like, it was the weirdest thing. So I looked up, up a shale wall. Like there are these sometimes shale walls um, that I would come across. Like most of the time it was deep woods, but every once in a while there would be like a sheer cliff shale wall, or I'd be close to, um, a quarry which like why was I riding my horse near a stone quarry or like where mining was going on don't don't do that also dumb kid uh 12 year olds are gonna are gonna 12 year old I guess um but so I looked and I remember it distinctly because I was looking up at the shell shale wall and I like 
was like there's something there and I like couldn't see it and it was almost like one of those magic eye photos now I'm aging myself but where you look at it and you're like there's nothing there and then all of a sudden the image comes together and there was a mountain lion uh, uh, a she lion up there um, it was she was so camouflaged and she was she had been stalking us and something that like I know I still will not get into the details of how like you know what goes on with the attack but how mountain lions attack or how big well mountain lions specifically big cats all hunt in different ways but how mountain lions specifically attack and horses are their direct prey um, and certain livestock are too is they jump from above um so what the hell um I have goosebumps right now talking about this um because she was gearing up I think she was gearing up to like eat us and so I made the mountain lion sound um I should not subject you to the mountain lion sound it's like this particular like growl and I did it really loudly um as loud as I could they sound like like I did that (laughs) I'm sorry for your ears um so I did that really really loudly though like I muffled it for the microphone and I held the microphone away from me and I'm going to lower that sound so I really really do not blow out your eardrums but um and she actually got scared and she backed up um and she retreated and hid not all the way though and then I turned speck around and I he he could see her when she backed up and like scurried away and I was like we got to get back to the barn he's like you and me both dude (laughs) and so we we ran back um, and so I'm glad we got th- back okay. But when I told people at the barn, no one believed me. They're like, oh, mountain lions aren't around here. It's like, okay, uh, but then what did I just see? <laughs> Explain to me my experience then. And they're just like, oh, you just didn't have it. I'm like, no, that's not acceptable. That's not an acceptable answer. Um, the second time, I was sort of in a similar area, more wooded, not in the clearing. Um, And we were crossing over the river where we were about to. And um, Speck liked to play in the river. So I'd like loosen the reins, like kind of let them go slack. And then he would like drink and then he would like kind of paw the river a little bit. But he was kind of like looking at something. And I looked over and on the other side, there was a panther on the other side drinking water and like kind of eyeballing us and the thing is like I learned later that there's actually no such thing as a panther it's just a melanated big cat of some sort so like there's of course like exceptions to the rule but for the most part big cats if they're really melanated um kind of like albino it's like the opposite where it's like that's considered a panther um, of course, whenever I looked this up, um, <laughs> I was just about to say, I bet you it was a mountain lion that was melanated. And that can still happen, just like an albino mountain lion can still happen. But mountain lions, I just looked this up and I found out that they actually cannot be considered panthers. But whatever. I saw a panther. Um, I don't care. <laughs> what the scientists say no I'm just kidding I love science um so 
that one definitely no one believed me and I barely believed myself. So that one I don't blame people as much for. But maybe I just saw the Beast of Bodmin more just like teleported right on over to <laughs> Appalachia in the US. <laughs> um, and I, that's like those are two really distinct experiences I had not to mention the other predators I saw out there like bears, snakes, poachers I count them as predators poachers were really scary people because like if you saw them you wondered like are they going to make it so you're not a witness because they have the ability to that's getting real heavy um so yeah poachers are scary people um there was just a lot of a lot of scary stuff in the woods um which is why I'm writing a dark fantasy series about uh, kind of loosely based off of that um all the different things I saw out there that (laughs) no one believes me about um so just me the crazy um child of the forest that saw creepy things and like won't shut up about it um I'm like one one hop skip and a jump away from being a hermit in the woods that's like beware like I'm just gonna be a forest witch woods witch um but all of that to say that like those were experiences that I had when no one was around and then the Beast of Bodmin Moor has tons and tons of evidence behind it um and even to the point where like people have video and and photo evidence that aren't like was deemed to be not doctored blurry and rough but not doctored so what is going on so some here are some of the theories and some things that people figured out um so plymouth plymouth zoo was forced to close down in 1978 and ms chipperfield the um female counterpart like the wife side of the couple that owned the zoo allegedly did not want to surrender the pumas to the other zoo that they were taking them to so she allegedly released her quote favorite breeding pair into the wild plus a young male to keep them company end quote just take a second just take a second with that decision that was a decision she made allegedly allegedly because we honestly don't know though she was supposed to transport five pumas there are five pumas total um to ellis daw he was the owner at the time of dartmoor zoo um at dartmoor wildlife park but when she arrived there were only two pumas there and according to ellis daw um according to ellis he was like where are the other three and she kind of seemed like according to him and allegedly she seemed like she like was surprised he noticed that there were three missing boomas and then she allegedly said that they broke down and that three had quote escaped end quote and she wasn't like really inclined to report this escapage because whether she released them or whether they escaped exotic species um wasn't weren't illegal to release until 1981 in the UK so there's that possibility another theory is that in the 1970s there was the dangerous and wild animals act um this increased 
and made stricter rules regarding the welfare of owning wild or exotic animals to that particular land area. Um, And so people would have to apply for permits and get special coding, licensing, approval before they could have exotic pets. So I just want you to, uh, you know, think about, you know, all the work that someone, so let's say someone has in the UK, someone has an exotic pet. And, you know, let me just throw out some dates. In 1970, around there, in the 1970s, sometime in there, they're like, oh yeah, that exotic pet, which I think this should have been done before. You know, this is just me on my high horse over here, pun intended, being like, this should have been done before. But really, I mean, so... All of a sudden, there are these strict rules in place, lots of taxation, lots of licensing, all these things that you have to go through to own that exotic pet in the 1970s. And uh, it's not illegal to release that exotic pet until 1981. But it's a lot of money to keep that exotic pet all of a sudden. I, I think you can kind of imagine what residents would do. Um Hopefully not a lot of people, um, but enough apparently, because the theory is that some people wouldn't want to pay bills, so they just release them. And this can go into a whole other episode at some point, I'm sure. Um, but I, this could just be an urban legend. Like, I really have not looked into this at all. I'm pretty sure that exact set of circumstances happened in New York City. Um like that exact set of circumstances did happen with the laws and the regulations and stuff like that and the licensing. But there's this urban legend that there are alligators in the um, sewers of New York City. And it's because of that where it's like, oh, man, like this gator I got is getting kind of big. I thought it was a caiman, but it turns out it's like a gator or a um, uh crocodile I'm just gonna flush it down the toilet and it's like oh never mind I'm just gonna live off of rats in the sewer system oh this is so gross it's like the thing of nightmares and also just to like throw out another one of my worst fears I feel like a lot of people have that one thing that scares them or that one animal that scares them I'm fine with like every single animal out there it seems like like I'm fine with spiders well that's not an animal it's an arachnid but still I'm fine with spiders I'm fine with any kind of bug basically um like I'm not afraid of them um I'm fine with lizards and snakes I'm fine with the dogs and cats like mammals like I'm fine with a lot of stuff but I immediately do not think that crocodiles and alligators should exist because I'm so petrified of them. Don't actually take that like literally. I do think they should exist. They're very important to the ecosystem. Logically, I know this. Emotionally, I'm very upset that they exist at all. Um, But anyway, back to the original thing about the whole releasing of these exotic animals. They think that that could also, that's a theory as to why there might be big cats in the UK. Another possibility is that Benjamin Me apparently, quote, admitted, end quote, that he released a pack. What? How much is in a pack? I don't know. Of Pumas from, get this, get this, Dartmoor Zoo. What is up with these people in the Pumas? So they went from 
Plymouth Zoo. They were supposed to go to Dartmoor Zoo. Um, but he he allegedly, quote, admitted, end quote, releasing a pack of pumas from Dartmoor Zoo in the 1980s. So that's when it was illegal to don't also like just because something's legal does not make it ethical. I don't know why I'm lecturing you. You know this. I, I'm just mad at I'm just mad at these people that are just like throwing wildcats places that they don't belong. Um, and according to him, they could have survived two generations. And this this is the part that makes me really sad and really mad. Um, they could have survived two generations until the winter of 2010. That's disgusting to me. Like, oh, thanks. So not only did you mess with the ecological welfare of like animals that are not like like they put out an apex predator that has no they put out an apex predator that's not supposed to be there but then on top of that like they potentially could have died unnaturally in 2010 from the cold that's just gross that's really gross and anyone who i'm just like i'm just gonna follow this soapbox here anyone who says that they they release them because they just like cared so much clearly they didn't because they're like, oh, we'll just see whatever happens, happens. And it's like, come on, man. Like, and woman, like, if you really cared about these pumas, you'd think that you'd ensure their safety and care, you know? But it just, like, makes me really sad to see that they aren't cared for and that they could have ecologically been invasive as well, if that is what's going on and that is what the Beast of Bodmin Moor is. Um I've also noticed a strange possessiveness and God complex when it comes to big cats. I guess it could be with other things like I've noticed people get real weird about elephants and stuff. And it's one thing to be passionate. Like, like I'm definitely fascinated by certain types of animals. Like I am very fascinated by orangutans. I have loved them for forever. And I think they are fabulous, fabulous, amazing creatures. Um, But mistreating them is unacceptable and also turning that like fascination into like a morbid curiosity slash possessiveness is like where it goes way too far. So I'll stop soapboxing at you since I know that you would never release pumas into into the UK uh, rural lands. Um, (laughs) I don't think that's the type of person you are. So, um, so forgive me for going on that diatribe there. Um, but thank you so much for suggesting this. It was very interesting. Um, I love telling you about things, um, that interest me. And so I was really thankful when you suggested this to me. Um, so also feel free to email me, um, creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com with any other suggestions um, and anything you'd like to hear from me. Like even if it's something I haven't talked about before, I loved deep diving this. It's a different experience for me when I haven't heard about something and I get to deep dive. But also even if I have heard about something and I get to deep dive, then that's also fun. It's just like a different experience. It's a lot. It's a great time either way. Thank you so much for listening. Um, don't get eaten by a big cat. If you do, you can just like rewind and play back me screaming like a, uh, mountain lion. Stay safe out there (laughs) and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. 
Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.